Hey everybody, thank you for joining me today on the Lifescaping for the Believer podcast. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Dylan Stevens, and I'm so excited that you're here. This right here is where we focus on beautifying and enhancing the life that God has given you. Beyond just calling yourself a Christian, what does it mean to walk intimately with God through Jesus, and how do we live an empowered life by the Holy Spirit? I promise you that your life on earth is so much more valuable and important than just acquiring a ticket to heaven. And though that's the best part, it's not the only part of the upward calling of Jesus Christ. So sit back, enjoy the episode, and be sure to share this with somebody who needs to hear the Word of God today. Well, welcome back to the broadcast, everybody. I'm so thankful that you're back in the swing of things. I got to say, I I owe you guys an apology. I have been slacking on getting the podcast out there. It's unacceptable. I refuse to put it off any longer. And I thought that just because my landscape business was picking up, that it gave me the right to put down the podcast for a little bit. And that is wrong. So please forgive me, you guys. We're back in the swing of things. I will have episodes out. We're going to move forward because there is land to be claimed, hearts to be changed, and minds to be filled with the glory of God. All right, guys. So tonight, oh my gosh, I have such a great episode for you guys. I'm excited about this one. And I titled today's episode, Will You Forfeit or Claim God's Promise for Your Life? And I titled it that for a reason because the sad truth, and I say this with all seriousness, okay? The majority of people, the majority of people will forfeit their promise given to them by God. And that's the truth. Scripture says broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And many will find the broad path and few will find the narrow path. The majority of people will forfeit The promise given to them by God. And I want to bring this to your attention because I don't want you to be in the majority. I want you to be in the minority. The person who claims God's promise for your specific life. And there's a few things that we have to staple down if this is really going to be a staple in your life. If this is going to be a pillar, if this is going to be a foundation that you're going to build your life on and claim God's promise for your life, it's got to start with a couple things. Number one. Please write this down. If you're driving, do not take your hand off the wheel. Lock this away or replay it later in the night. But listen closely or write this down if you have the chance. The enemy can only try to get you to forfeit your promise. They cannot take it from you. Let me say it again. Let me say it this way. The enemy only has the power to get you to try and forfeit your promise. And this is the truth. I know far too many people who blame their circumstances for not receiving the promises of God. I know a lot of people who blame other people's other people's sin, other people's situations, other people's circumstances, their parents, they blame money, they blame the economy, they blame the government. I there there are so many things that you could blame. But let me make this clear. The enemy only has the power to try and get you to forfeit your promise. They cannot take it. They can't tamper with it. They can't change it. They can't. All they can do is attempt to distract you and cause you to forfeit it. 
And I'll give you a very good example. Job had the opportunity to forfeit his promise. He could have wallowed and spent the rest of his life in grief and misery because of what he lost. Instead, he did what David did in Psalm. And he said, I will bless the Lord. I tell myself. He told himself to get up and believe in the Lord and just trust in him anyway. Regardless of the pain that he was experiencing, he still held true to the promise. And in the end, he received a double portion than what he had before. More land, more livestock, a family, the whole nine yards. It is a real fact, and I'm going to give you a story. I'm going to read over a chapter and a half of scripture tonight. That's right. So I hope you have your listening ears on like you did in kindergarten, because we have a chapter and a half that I'm going to work with you guys tonight. I'm going to read the whole thing in one shebang, and then we're going to talk about it, because I want you to see in scripture more clearly than you may have ever seen before that more the majority of people will forfeit their promise. Some people intentionally because of their own naiveness or their own selfish desires, and some unintentionally where they just go with the flow and they don't root themselves in the word and root and anchor themselves to what God has said, to what Jesus has said, to what the Holy Spirit has convicted them about. Let's get into this thing. Okay, oh, I should should continue. So the first thing I was saying that we need to staple down is that the, the enemy can only try and get you to forfeit your promise. That's key number one. Key number two, you have to to solidify in your heart. Now, I've said this many times, but I'm going to continue to say it because you need to reassure yourself every single day and really evaluate if you believe this. Is the word of God infallible to you? Forget about everybody else. Forget about Forget about everybody else and take an account for your life because you'll have to give an account to God for it. Do you believe his word is infallible? If you do, then you have to believe when Hebrews says that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword cutting through both bone, marrow, and spirit. You have to believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, as the scriptures say. Now, if these things are true, And the word of God is infallible to you and it is the inspired truth of God. It's 100% true. The word, every word you read is truth that you can receive. Then here's a truth for you. I want you to write this one down too. Key number one, the enemy can only try and get you to forfeit your promise. They can't take it. Key number two, believe the word of God. People used to say that, that Christianity is, is, uh, it's built on faith. That's not true. It's built on a fact, and it's received by faith. That's key number two. And key number three, there are over 8,800 scriptures that are promises that you can believe in for your life. And I say that with all conviction. Some people will say that's not fair because a lot of the promises were for the Israelites. Some were for specific people. Some were for specific generations. Here's the truth. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And it also the scriptures also say that he's no respecter of man. And if one person will believe in righteousness and obey the commandments that God has set in place, the promises are yours. The life can be yours. A life more abundant can be yours if you'll submit, obey, and live a life that is righteous before God. So here's your example for tonight. Here's what I want to do. Now, those are the three keys going into this to set this up so that you can see what it looks like for a group of people to forfeit. And I and this is to stay away 
and to live like, well, you know what? Let's just get into it before I try to explain it, before I even read it. I want you to jump to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers is a book of the Bible. It is the fourth book of the Bible. Sorry, I almost said third. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. And like I said, I'm going to read a chapter and a half, so I want you guys to stick with me, listen closely, and I'm going to do my best not to stumble through this. (laughs) Here we go. The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp into the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of the leaders. And it lists twelve tribes with twelve leaders. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Now remember, they're not in the promised land yet. This is Moses leading them through the wilderness. They're coming to the end of these 40 years, and now they're at a place where they can start exploring the land that they believe God's going to give them. Okay, Verse 17, chapter 13. Moses gave the men these instructions as he had sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like. And find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many, and see what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do the towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do, they, do your best to bring back samples of the crops that you see. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Re, uh, Rehob and near Leba, Lebahamoth. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talamai, all descendants of, of Anakalived. told you I was going to stumble through a few of these, but that's okay. I don't really speak Hebrew. <laughs> when they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch of a single cluster of grapes, so large that it took two men to carry it on a pole between them. Now, this is what they're exploring. They're in the land. These 12 tribe leaders are exploring the land. This is the things that they're finding. They also brought back a sample of the pomegranates and figs. And the place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because a cluster of grapes the Israelites cut by the men. After exploring the land for 40 days and finding all things like this, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen. And showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large, they're fortified. Even uh, We even saw giants living there, the descendants of, of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live in the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. It's a rare guy right there. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against these men. They're stronger than we are. They've spread this bad report among the land of the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. This is what the people are saying to Moses. 
This land will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. This is chapter 14. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and crying all night. Now, now listen carefully. The whole community. Just remember, there was almost 3 million Jews, or 3 million Israelites that came out of Egypt and, and uh, trekked 40, for 40 years throughout the wilderness. The whole community began weeping and crying aloud all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us from this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They plotted among themselves, let us choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down on their face and fell down on the ground before God or before the whole community, excuse me, of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is wonderful land, and it is the Lord's pleasure, and if the Lord is pleased with us, excuse me, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of this land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb for this. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all Israelites in the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? They will never believe me. Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation. Now Moses goes on to plead with the Lord, saying, don't make this happen. All right, I'm paraphrasing here because I'm going to skip ahead to verse 20 in chapter 14. But basically Moses says to God, please don't do that. Please don't destroy the Israelites, Lord, because you brought us out of Egypt. And if you kill us, then the rest of then all the surrounding towns will think that you have killed us because you couldn't bring us into the promised land. So he's basically trying to haggle with God. In verse 20, it says this, Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with my glory, not one of these people will enter the land. They have seen my glorious presence and marvelous signs I perform both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. Not one of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. And that's exactly what happened. And all the people, all those Israelites, they died in the wilderness and never made it to the promised land except for Joshua, Nun, or excuse me, except for Joshua and Caleb. And, and here's what I want you to get from this, guys. God did not take the promise back. The Israelites forfeited. They said they would rather go back to Egypt and be enslaved where they were getting fed, but they had absolutely no reason for living and no value because they were enslaved. They would rather go back to that lifestyle. 
then trust in the Lord to deliver them into the land that he swore he would give to them. They were right at the finish line. They went, they spent 40 years getting there. And at the peak moment, when it was time, when it was do or die, when it was believe or, or not, they, they couldn't do it. And it goes on in Numbers and it says they could not enter the promised land because of one thing. It wasn't even because of disobedience. It was because of unbelief. They never even gave themselves the chance to obey because they had unbelief. They simply forfeited the promise that God had given them. And my question to you is two people made it into the promised land and just shy of three million did not. And this goes back to the first thing I said. The majority of people will forfeit the promise that God has for them. Now, here's, here's an even bigger question. What are the promises that God offers? Well, unfortunately, I don't have time enough to hit every single promise in this single podcast because there are over 8,800 promises in Scripture. But here's one promise to start with. In John, 10, chapter, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Now, the, now more abundantly means to have an overabundance of life, which means you, you have a promise right there that you can move out of poverty through your belief and faith. You can move out of out of depression, out of anxiety. Life more abundantly means that you are not drowned by common life circumstances, by debt, by poor relationships, by all those things. More abundantly means to have a super abundance of that thing. So what does a super abundant life even look like? It means that you are excelling in every area of every area of life. More abundantly doesn't mean some abundance, just spiritual abundance. No, physically, mentally, spiritually, bodily, everything. You can excel and have a over super abundance of life. You can have life, you'll live, and you can have it more abundantly. A super abundance of life. Matthew 6 verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and all these things will follow. And if you read before that, it talks about how he clothes the lilies, how he feeds the sparrows. I mean, all the nine yards, the whole nine yards, he talks about being a sole provider. And we think that we have to trust on our own paycheck to make it two weeks in our life. Guys, if you're not careful, you'll forfeit the promise that God has for you, the abundant life that God has waiting for you. Don't forfeit it right at the finish line. I'm telling you today in the mighty name of Jesus that right now your promise is waiting for you. And I want you to be there to claim it. A lot of people hate the name it and claim it, but you know what? That's a cheap way of saying your confession matters. That's an oversimplification of simply saying in faith, I confess that my God provides all my needs and he's the only place I need to go for anything. So I will claim the abundant life that he has in front of me. That's what that means. Instead of bashing the prosperity message, why not take into consideration and say that Jesus talked more about money than hell and heaven combined? Jesus talked more about healing than he did about heaven and hell. Jesus talked more about, um, I mean, those two things alone. It, 
Jesus talked about you having a successful life here on earth. And that's, I want you to take it into consideration. This podcast, Lifescaping for the Believer, is meant for you to focus on things that the common person does not focus on. Christianity is simply a ticket to heaven. Spirituality is simply seeing the world through a more positive lens. You know, it's just, there's so much of a deeper level. And tonight, I want you to get this one thing. Don't forfeit the promise God has for you. And if, you, if you're a go-with-the-flow kind of person, which I was for a very long time, and I'm thankful I married the woman I did, because if I didn't, I'd still be super go-with-the-flow. Target your mind, your faith, your belief on the promise that God has in front of you. The Lord told me that I was going to acquire land. He told me I was going to teach the word. So I position myself, align it with my heart, with my mind, and with my voice to go after those things. And I'll see the promise come. That's what I want you to get tonight. Hold in your heart, John 10, 10. Reflect back on Numbers 13 through four, through 14 verse. You just read 13 and 14. You'll get the whole picture. Don't forfeit the promise that God has for you. And He does have a promise for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. You have a future. Genesis, in the book of Genesis, I can't remember exactly what chapter, please forgive me. But it says to be, he commanded, and this was a promise and a commandment in one. I kind of loved it. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Go out and subdue the earth. You know what that means? You have every right to take the land in front of you. You do. Because the earth was given to man. I mean, think about Joshua. He marched around a city and claimed it. He marched around it for seven days, blew a horn, boom, it was his. Walls fell down. He took over the city without any effort. Just walked in because he walked around it. And the Lord stood behind him. Simple obedience. Simple obedience. Acted in faith. And you'll receive that promise. Don't forfeit your promise. And, and I want to expand a little bit more on it and just say this. The enemy can only try. Scripture says that the, the devil is under our feet. He has been slain. Jesus, when he died on the cross, descended into the depths. He took the keys to hell, death, and the grave from Satan himself. And you know what I love even more? This, this, this honestly, it, it, kind of, it does make you kind of chuckle, but it just, it puts a fire in your belly to say, I don't have any enemies because the devil's under my foot. An enemy is somebody who battles against you. Well, the victory's already been won. So he's not, he's not, he's not an enemy. He's a defeated wannabe. But Revelation says that even hell itself and Satan and all his demons will be thrown into the lake of fire. So it's not like hell, it's not like, Satan runs hell and he's like a king. No, he himself will be thrown into the lake of fire on judgment day. He's not going to be running anything. He'll be suffering more than anyone. And I don't want to see anyone go to hell. If broad is the way that leads to destruction, then it is time to seek out the narrow path. Because many, or excuse me, because few will find it. Few will walk it. 
What's the promise that God has in front of you? You know he has an abundant life for you. I already read that. You know that he'll be your, your sole provider. I already read that. Matthew 6, 33. John 10, 10. You know that he's called you to multiply and subdue the earth. That's in Genesis. You know that the word of God is infallible because of Hebrews. Go out and see what the Lord has put before you in the word of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, let the word of God come to life in every person listening to the sound of my voice. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for life anew to be breathed into every person listening. That a fire would be lit and that you would fuel that fire with more oxygen than it has ever felt before. I pray that promises come to life and they're, they're like a reality sitting in front of you that you claim because you believe the word of God is real, that it's true, and that it's for you specifically. It's not some giant genre. It's a book written to you. It's a book written to me. It's a book written from a father to a son saying, this is what not to do. This is what to do. And you'll have a life more abundant. <coughs> In Jesus name, I bless every person listening. Bless their finances, bless their resources, bless their families, bless their encounters this week. Bless their sleep in the mighty name of Jesus, the best sleep they've ever had. In fact, I feel in my spirit that somebody listening has been struggling with sleepless nights. And that ends tonight in Jesus' name. No more restless sleeping. The neck pain will go away in the mighty name of Jesus. I speak it over you, I believe it, and I bless you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.